As we begin this morning, I want to uh, pray for our moms and uh, just uh, spend a few moments uh, thanking our Father for our mothers. Without them, we would not be here, literally, and um, without Him, we would not be here either, but I do want to uh, just pray for you, so uh, moms, let me... uh, pray for you this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, on a day that we, your creation has set aside to to remember, to be thankful, to honor our moms. I pray for those mothers that are in this room this morning. Father, I thank you for them. I thank you for the life, the offsprings that you have given them. Father, I know that this day is a day where we do thank and we love and we remember. But Father, it's also a hard day for some of us as we remember a mom who has passed on as we remember a child that has passed on. So Father, would you, at this moment, would you come and would you let these mothers know that they are loved. They are loved totally. They are loved sacrificially. They are accepted in you and in your son. God, we thank you for them. Father, might it be a a day that we celebrate you above all. But as we join with brothers and sisters or as we join with our moms, might we just celebrate their life. So thank you for them. God, would you speak this morning as we look at your word? Father, I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. As um, I'll probably get hit for saying this, but as I was giving Paige, as we, Nathan, Mary Morgan, and I were giving Paige her Mother's Day gift this morning, um, Mary Morgan reminded us that there is Mother's Day, there's Father's Day, there is even Grandparents' Day. Why is there not Kids' Day? It's like, all right, we get four, you can have the other 361. I really think that's the case. Um, This is not a typical Mother's Day sermon. And so, uh, mothers, just want to let you know that it might not be easy for a few moments, but you need to nudge the person to your right or your left and say, it's not just for me because it's not about mothers necessarily, it's about adults, it's about those in Christ, whether young or old, that we need to be reminded of. This morning, and so I want us to see Jesus, and I want to see want us to see the the argument 
the debate, the contrast of seeing Jesus that Paul speaks of and reminds us of in Colossians chapter 2. To understand this, you need to understand what was going on in Colossae at the time. You need to, to see and understand that there was a battle taking place for the souls of men and women. There were false teachers all over the place and they were combating Christianity by saying, all right, we know about Christ, but let's go to deeper things. Let's, let's talk about these things or those things. And Paul is writing to say you cannot go past Christ. There, there's no way to get past the breadth, the depth, the span of Christ. So you can't get past him. You need to focus on him, Colossae. You need to focus on him, River Bend. You need to focus on him, Brian, or your name. So, here is his letter, his argument to the people at Colossae, to you, to me, about seeing Jesus. I want to read the first 15 verses of chapter 2 for us, and we will spend our time looking at verse 6 down through verse 15. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having given us all, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal 
demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. As Jesus is described afresh, or as he is described anew in this passage, I want to show you two arguments, or I want to draw your attention to two arguments this morning that shows the contrast. We all know what a contrast is. There, there's a contrast in colors, black or white. There's a, a contrast in political views, Democrats or Republicans. There's a contrast in sporting views, Alabama and Auburn. There, there are all kinds of contrast for us to understand and to know. And here in this passage, there are some contrasts that we need to see spiritually that Paul makes in his debate, that he makes in his argument to those at Colossae that, as we just read, they have never seen his face, yet they are trusting not in Paul, not in Apollos, not in Epaphras, not in anybody else, but they're trusting in Christ as you and I ought to trust as well. So the first argument is this, a description of who he is is given here to remind us of his greatness. Look in verse 8 down through verse 10, it states this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, here's the description of Christ, in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. We will come back to that last statement, who is the head of all rule and authority in just a moment. Do you see the description? If, if you and I would understand this, if we would wrap our arms around this description of who He is, if we, if we could just grasp who Jesus is, no matter what the plausible, the persuasive, no matter what the argument that is brought to us, no matter what the, the person is, who he is, where he is, who she is, where she is, in responsibility chain, at work, at school, at the house, no matter where that argument comes against Christ, if you and I would see Christ for who he is, it would dispel all the other arguments because he is that great. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, there is a description of Christ. We've already looked at this description, but let me remind you of it. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. It is in order, preeminence over it, creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created that were created, were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. We talked about that as Him being provider and sustainer. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him 
to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul takes that passage in chapter 1 and he reiterates it. He emphasizes it. He speaks it again to those at Colossae so that they would be reminded of it. Some of you in this room are like myself. You and I find ourselves in our fourth plus decade of life. It happened last year about the middle of the summer that I just quit remembering things. I, I, honestly, I went to a doctor or two over this because before that moment, before that week, I, I could remember. I wouldn't have to write stuff down. I, I could remember it and everything was fine. But it was definitive. Decide, there was a moment and I just said, Paige, I, I can't remember anymore. I can't remember words in a sentence. I can't remember what you wanted me to get at the grocery. I cannot remember who you are. No, I, I, I can't remember anymore. And so I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, how old are you? And I told him, he said, well, it's life. I said, no, doc, you don't understand. I cannot remember. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, okay, maybe I don't need to tell him all this stuff. Here's an argument that Paul is trying to get the people at Colossae to remember. So what does he do? He says it one time. It is a hymn of the first century church in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. It's a hymn. It's something that they would sing, that they would know. And now in Colossians chapter 2, he is reminding them again, not one chapter later, of the same exact things. Why? So that it will sink in. Because Monday in Colossae is going to be tough. Monday in Memphis is going to be tough. Monday and Tuesday of this week in your life is going to be tough. And you and I must be reminded of who He is and how great He is. And so it is over and over and over again, this great doctrine of Christ is brought up. The old adage... It's not that you need to know more, but to do what you know fits here. The people at Colossae are like, hey, we got Christ. Let's move on to something deeper. Hey, we got Christ. We understand it. Now let's go to something else. And Paul's like, no, folks at Colossae, folks at River Bend, don't do that. Paul could have written a, a book about some new way to look at this or that aspect of Christianity. He could have looked at, he could have written a book that came at a different angle or a different slant to who Christ is, but he says, No, I want you to just grasp him. Don't get past him. You cannot get past him. Just grasp him. Even though he was combating a bunch of false teachers. Paul wouldn't take the Colossians down a road of I know more than you know. Just understand who he is. Let's look at a couple of descriptions of who Christ is from different authors than Paul. John wrote about him this way as he introduced his gospel 
in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 16. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, talking about John the Baptist, John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from the From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Christ, has made Him known. John wrote about Him this way to describe Him in Revelation chapter 1, a passage that we looked at Last fall, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe with golden sash around his chest, and the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters, and in his right hand... He held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the the sun, shining in full strength. As I read those this week, I was reminded of a song, and I, I won't sing it for you. You're welcome. But the song is entitled, No One Higher, and here are just a couple of the words. There is no one higher. There's no one greater. There is no one like our God. There is none more able, Christ our Savior, great and glorious. There is no one higher. And if you would grasp that today, your week would be different than it was this past week. If I would grasp that, my week would be different than it was last week. If you would grasp that today, you and I, we would live a different life as we come to see the description of who He is and of what He's done. The description is given. 115, 2, 6 through 10, that we might not ever run away from Christ. I was challenged this week in my uh, quiet time in Jeremiah chapter 2, 
Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, God is not happy with his people. And it might be that you find yourself where the children of Israel found themselves. But God says this to Jeremiah, who then states it to all of Israel, to all the Jews. He says, my people, this is God speaking, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Not good words. And then he says, here's my two problems with you Jews. He might be saying it to me. He might be saying it to you, his people. He says, my people have committed two evils. The first, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And the second, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And the question that I ask myself, how many times, how many times will I chase after this world, and will I leave God? I really should say, how many more times am I going to do it? Because every other time that I've done it, I've come up empty, just like those that have made cisterns. They won't even hold water. They've got holes all in them. The world will never, has never, can never promise, bring what it promises. It promises so much, but it always leaves you and it leaves me lacking, thirsty, with no substance whatsoever. This description of who Christ is is given again so that you and I would be reminded of His greatness and we would not chase after this world. We would not chase after stuff. We would not chase after leisure. We would not chase after money. We would not chase after family. We would not chase after kids. But we would only chase after the one who is worthy. Christ. Jesus stated it this way in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first His kingdom. His kingdom. And all these other things. Fortune. All these other things, money, all these other things, family, all these other things, leisure, job, they'll be added. Just to let you know the problem at 34 Tanner where I live, oftentimes is that I think that I'm doing just that, that I'm chasing after the greatest, that I'm chasing after Christ, when in reality, He's the furthest thing that I'm chasing from. Is that where you are? Have you given up the fountain of living waters for a cistern that will not hold water? You, kids, let me ask you a question. Let your moms and dads rest for a second, but let me ask you a question, kids. Do you believe that Jesus is who He says He is? 
Do you believe that he is who he says he is? He states that he is the son of the living God. He states that he died on the cross and was raised from the dead for you. I read another article this week, and it happens almost every week, of a teacher in middle school, high school, college, where have you, that seeks to debunk, that seeks to argue, that seeks to just throw away Christianity and that belief. You will find it. It may not be this week. It may not be this year, but you will find it. And the question for you is this. Do you believe that He is who He said He is? Do you want to follow Christ? Do you really believe His words? Adults, you're not left out. If you believe this, kids are adults, then quit. Quit being like the Jews who forsook Him. May we quit May we come back. A second argument is seen in this passage. Not just the description given, but a second argument is this. That you and I need to understand that we are a part of this work. And being included in the action allows us to be a part of His work. Let me read for you 10 through 15 and see. Actually, let me start in 9 and allow you to see and hear again all the things that you are because of Him. Verse 9, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled, you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him, that's you, you were buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. There is a slew of metaphors in Paul's argument. And, and they're kind of all running together. And so uh, I'm not going to take each and every one of them, but there were a couple of those that just really came out at me as I looked at these verses to see all of us being included into the action of His work. God has worked. And he has triumphed over the world in Christ. That's the end there in verse 15. He has triumphed over the world. He has triumphed over all other authorities, all over all other powers in Christ. Christ has finished his work. He has, been, he has reconciled us to the Father. Now you and I are added into this work. How? Because we're in him. 
were filled in him. Do you see that in verse number 9 and 10, 10 and 11 actually? In verse 9, in him the whole fullness of deity dwelt, and you and I have been filled in him. There's a play on words that Paul is trying to get across to you. All deity has been in Christ in bodily form. The fullness of deity is there. It's why we call him the God-man. He was 100% man. He was 100% God. He was the God-man. And all the fullness of God, deity, was in him. And now you, as a born-again believer, as a Christian, as one who has accepted him as Savior and Lord, you are now filled in him. And so God lives in you. Take a second to let that sink in. The Spirit of the living God is in you. As a son or a daughter of the King, He is in you. Power to overcome temptation is in you. Power to walk in victory is in you. Power to respond with the right words when somebody is just slamming you is in you. Power to hold your tongue is in you. He is in you. Second one there is circumcised without hands. I'm reading through the Old Testament in part of my quiet time and um, just finished Leviticus. And as I was reading through Leviticus, I was just reminded of the sacrificial system. I was reminded of what it meant to be a Jew in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers coming up. Circumcision was an outward sign. It was a physical sign for men who were Jews to be reminded of whose they were. It was a sign that they were a part of the covenantal people of God. And this, what Paul is speaking of, is not a physical circumcision, but it is a spiritual circumcision of the heart, which is even greater. And he argues this in Romans. The author of Hebrews argues it as well. But it is a greater circumcision, one that is made without hands. It is for the heart. It is a spiritual marking in that you and I would put off the body of this flesh because of it, through that circumcision. And it is an act that He does on you, ma'am, you, sir. It is not just for males, it is for all who have come to Him. Circumcision without hands. Put off the body, buried with Christ in baptism, raised with Christ in faith, dead in your trespasses, but made alive in Him. All of these actions are His. All of these actions He's allowing you to be a part of now. So how do we bring this on? Let me talk for just a moment of what it means to be filled in Him. It means that you and I daily, hourly, moment by moment, 
bowed the knee to say, there is no way that I can make it through this moment. There's no way that I can make it through this day. There's no way that I can do what is right without you leading me and guiding me. Allow your spirit to fill me. You and I quench the spirit. You and I thwart his work by acting, thinking, saying things against him by sinning. When you and I come back in confession, when you and I um, confess our sins, when we ask forgiveness and he gives that forgiveness, then afresh and anew we have his spirit ruling and reigning in our lives. Christ is the greatest of all. We have now been filled with him. We have the greatest entity being in us. And I know what the statement is. The grass is always greener on the other side. That's what the people in Israel thought. That's what the people in Colossae might start to be thinking while he's writing this. That is what you and I think. But it's not. You pick up the magazine People. You look at the television screen. You look at whatever. And you look at all these who are famous. From Miley to Gaga to Bieber to George Clooney to whoever. They're all searching for something. And everything that they're searching for leaves them lacking. And as Solomon, thousands of years before, stated, it's all vanity. There are those that are searching for jobs, for substance in their jobs. Most people dislike, they hate, they question their jobs. They question the status that they have in their jobs. It too is not worthy of being number one in your heart or in your life. It's like chasing after the wind. We have Christ in us. He is the hope of glory. He is our hope of glory. And you and I must come to realize that. I close by stating verse 15 again and just to leave you with this thought. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. God disarmed those powers. He he disarmed all of those rulers, all of those authorities, and He put them to open shame. When? When Jesus went to the cross and He took on your sin and He took on my sin. He took your place. You deserve judgment and hell. I deserve judgment and hell. And He took that on so that you and I might have His righteousness. 
And when that took place, that event some 2,000 years ago took place, it was in public and there was open shame for all the rulers and all the authorities of that day and any day past, present or future, to see that God would take my place and your place and He triumphed over everybody. This is the end of the list of the metaphors. But you and I need to be reminded of this. That God rules and He reigns. He did some 2,000 years ago in Colossae and He does today. And He will forever and ever and ever. And He is acting just as He did then. He is acting to continue to hold you. Because of the work of the cross, because three days later he arose from the grave to give you eternal life. Not just life for 70 plus years physically, but eternal life for myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands of years. All because one day he chose to leave heaven One day, he chose to allow men to nail him to a cross. Not because of anything that he did, but everything that you did. Everything that I did. That's how much he loves me. Heavenly Father, it's so easy for us, for me, For anyone in this day to be, to become one that goes down a tangent for a little while, whether it's an activity, an action, a a leisure, a like, a family, a job, to allow our focus to be taken off of you. Father, I am combated, we are combated every single day by a plethora, a number of things. Father, in the moment of this calm right now, Father, would you solidify these statements to our heart, knowing that the world is going to rage when we leave this place. Would we be reminded, would I be reminded, Father, of your greatness so that when the wind blows, when the storm comes, when the tangents are seen, that our focus would be you. Father, I pray that Lord, you would rule and reign in the hearts of these that are here. Father, it's not a typical Mother's Day sermon. You know that. We know that. But Father, it's a sermon that every single one of us need to come to grips with. To honor you.